The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It's always been about the work, but it, it, it's about a new challenge. And, and going from television to radio is a big shift for me. And getting back to my roots as someone who grew up listening to baseball in its purest form, which is, in my opinion, on the radio. And I wanted to have that opportunity uh, before I was done broadcasting. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to do it for the next 20, 25 years and then call it a day. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former Cubs television announcer turned White Sox radio play-by-play man, Len Casper. Len, congratulations. You are this morning ranked by my colleague, Jeff Agrest, as the number two sports broadcaster in Chicago. You must have made the right move. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, Fran. It's been a a crazy year for everybody uh, and not a a good year for for most of us. Um, But uh, for me, uh, the way 2020 ended uh, gave me a little bounce in my step. I I had a great 16-year run with the Cubs, but I'm really, really pumped about uh, making this move over to radio with the White Sox. And Jeff says that the move to the Sox won't lower your profile, even you're going, even though you're going from TV to radio. It might just raise it. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm not sure about that. And I, to be honest with you, what my profile is is not the the reason I made this move. Uh, I uh, am now 50, and I'm at a point in my life where the amount of Twitter followers I have. I suppose what my profile is, uh, how many people are watching or listening, those things are are not nearly as important to me as they maybe were at one time in my life. Right now it's about, it's always been about the work, but it's about a new challenge and, and going from television to radio is a big shift for me. And getting back to my roots as someone who grew up listening to baseball in its purest form, which is in my opinion, on the radio. And I wanted to have that opportunity uh, before I was done broadcasting. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to do it for the next 20, 25 years and then call it a day. Tell me how this came about. Is this a job that sought you or is this a job you sought? Well, I definitely sought uh, out this job in terms of the the parameters of what uh, the, the, the job entails uh, number one, Fran, Chicago is my home. Chicago is my family's home. 
Uh, we love it here. I would not have considered uh, a job in a different city. So that that's that's paramount here in this conversation. And timing is such as you know in the world that you know, I guess the timing chose me, right? Uh, these jobs don't open often. And when they get filled, they tend to be filled for a generation, if not longer. Uh, Pat Hughes was the number two radio broadcaster in Milwaukee with Bob Euchre back in the early to mid-1990s. And typically, the number two announcer matriculates up to the number one spot when the number one announcer retires. Bob has not retired. It's 2021. This is 26, 27 years later. So I knew that once the White Sox made this hire, that job probably wouldn't be open again until I would have retired. So that's why I went for it. That's why the timing worked out the way it did. And thankfully, the Cubs and Marquee Sports Network, uh, they were great and gracious about letting me uh, chase my dream, essentially. So you called the Sox and said, listen, I'd like to talk to you about the radio opening. That's right, but I needed permission first from the Cubs and Marquee because I had one year left on my contract. And for all the reasons I I pointed out to you and many more, uh, being able to get to Michigan to see my parents more often, uh, a chance to work in the American League for the first time, a chance to do postseason action, something I've never been able to to call as a lead announcer. Those were the reasons why I wanted to pursue it. And, you know, one detail matters here, Fran. You know, I didn't ask the Cubs to leave. I asked the Cubs to scratch the itch. And so, yes, I called the White Sox, and, you know, we did have a little back and forth about, what would be uh, the appropriate in terms of length and dollars and duties and all of those things. Uh, I would have been very comfortable had the, the, the deal not been quite what I wanted to, to remain with the Cubs. Um, but I just needed to not regret at least looking very seriously into it uh, down the road. And it just turned out that uh, everything that we talked about was stuff that I wanted. And I, made the call. Timing is everything in life and in sports, and your timing is really impeccable. You made your move to the Sox during an offseason that saw a young and exciting team on the move get better and be aggressive with signings while the Cubs are shedding payroll. Yeah, I've been asked about that timing as well, and uh, it's kind of the icing on the cake, I suppose, (laughs) joining a uh, an organization that uh, is is right now in the window to to win a championship that that had very little and actually nothing to do with why I made this move. Broadcasters uh, shouldn't make moves based on whether the team they're going to uh, is predicted to finish first or or last. That's not why we do what we do. And it it look it's a lot more fun when the team you're with wins. 2016 was a lot more fun for Jim Deshays and me than 2012 when the Cubs lost uh, over 100 games. There's no doubt about it. But uh, even when the team isn't good, I get a lot of enjoyment out of what I do and just being at the ballpark and hopefully this year being around a lot of people and talking baseball and then 
being able to call the action. That's why I do what I do. And it would be great if uh, this White Sox team could uh, advance a little deeper into October this year than they did uh, in 2020, for sure. In an off season that's still very much filled with uncertainty, uncertainty about when and if and how many fans will return to the stands, Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf of the Sox has been incredibly aggressive. He has opened his wallet to sign closer Liam Hendricks, who shut down the Sox in the wildcard series. He re-signed Adam Eaton. He strengthened the rotation with the signing of Lance Lynn. And the Sox signed the number one international prospect in the half-brother of Jonas Cespedes. And of course, we had the decision to fire Ricky Renteria and replace him with legendary manager Tony La Russa. Do any of these moves surprise you? And why is Reinsdorf willing to open up the payroll while the Cubs are retrenching? Uh, in terms of surprises, I mean, the, to me, the headline uh, move there in terms of a surprise has to be Hall of Fame manager Tony La Russa coming out of retirement uh, after being out for nine years. Uh, Tony is the first active Hall of Fame manager in Major League history. It will be very interesting uh, to see uh, if his strategy, if his uh, kind of the philosophy and the way he goes about it has changed at all because the game, as you probably know, Fran, has has changed a lot over the last nine to ten years, particularly with bullpen usage. So I'm really interested in getting uh, to pick his brain. He has the third most wins all time. Uh, and is known for, for, for how he handles his relief core. Uh, I've talked to Tony a couple of times. He's really excited about this challenge and, and working with this talented group. Uh, in terms of the uh, spending uh, on both sides, you know, the, the White Sox are kind of where the Cubs were in 2015, and that is you tend to spend more money and try to add veteran pieces when you feel like your team is ready to take that next step. Conversely, the Cubs, and I should add, Jerry Reinsdorf's been pretty open about the fact that he's not getting any younger. Uh, and at, I believe, 84 years old, he, he really wants to win uh, at least one more World Series. On, on the Cubs side, you know, they're kind of on the back end of that window. And while they've been essentially a perennial playoff team, uh, they haven't gone very deep in the postseason the last few years, and including missing the playoffs altogether a couple of years ago. Uh, I think now the, the, the goal is to replenish the cupboard, uh, and that is the minor league system, and having an opportunity to uh, find better value as they move along and maybe get away a little bit from signing the big-ticket free agents. Free agency is very fraught with a lot of risk uh, financially and, and beyond. And I think the only time most clubs like to really do it heavily is when they feel their team is on the cusp of winning a championship. How do you like the Liam Hendricks move? Uh, he's a guy who will take the ball for more than just one inning. And he shut I down the, the Sox. Yeah, yeah wow. sorry to interrupt. I, I love this move, Fran. I, you know, he, he would pitch 100 times a year if, if given the opportunity. He's going to get the final three outs. And I think, as you said, he, he's a guy who can pitch the eighth and the ninth. 
the Sox uh, season ended, as you indicated, with him on the mound in Oakland. Uh, I love the mentality he brings. Uh, this bullpen might be the best area of uh, a ball club that will feature one of the best offenses in the game. But uh, I think if you look at this group right now and, and the White Sox bullpen, it is as formidable uh, as any in baseball. And probably the one area where they're still going to need either one other you know, minor free agent move or trade or find somebody to step up is the bottom of the starting rotation at the top, the three right off the bat are going to be really good. Uh, this is a year in which you want Dylan cease to step up. Uh, they could probably use one or two more starters just to give them depth. But other than that, uh, this club is pretty loaded to, to start the year. Who's out there as a starter that they could pick up? Well, you know, right now there are a lot of, uh, Essentially, you know, way more than should be probably uh, starters, uh, not only position players, but pitchers and good relievers. But but right now you're seeing uh, kind of everything being backloaded to the end of the offseason. We don't know when we're going to start. We don't know how many games are going to be played. And I think because of the financial restraints on a lot of clubs, uh, there are just too many pitchers kind of sitting out there. I, I would just bring up uh, internally, Ronaldo Lopez is a guy who has given them some innings over the years. And I, I think ostensibly, uh, if you just wrote out a rotation, he would be in it right now. But I would reserve the right to, you know, if there's somebody else out there, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams like, uh, that they would go out and maybe make a move and bring somebody in for a couple million bucks with maybe some built-in incentives for innings pitched. Uh, and that would round out the rotation nicely. How about Lance Lynn? Do you like that addition? I do. I do. And, I, you know, I guess going back to your previous question, if Trevor Bauer is listening to this podcast and would be interested in a three-year deal worth about $4 million, Trevor, this is your team. Now, he would probably tell you <laughs> maybe $144 million. But, uh, yeah, that's probably unlikely. I like Lance Lynn a lot. Uh, he's from Brownsburg, Indiana. And a uh, quick aside, uh, Brownsburg has put out three big leaguers of note, Drew Storen, Tucker Barnhart, and Lance Lynn. It's this tiny little uh, town uh, near Indianapolis, and they had a stretch uh, 10, 15 years ago, during which they were a high school powerhouse. So that's, that story is really interesting. Uh, he's an innings eater. He's a bulldog. He's kind of like Liam Hendricks, uh, if, if Hendricks were still a starter. He's the kind of guy who never wants to hand the manager the ball at the end of his outing. So I think that was a great move. He, he, he is a number one starter who might actually slot in number three in this rotation. How about Adam Eaton coming back? Yeah, I, I, I like the Eaton move. I, I, I view him right now on paper as a part-time player. Adam Engel had a really nice breakout short year in 2020. And whether that becomes a straight-up platoon and right or Eaton maybe spells occasionally uh, Jimenez, uh, to, for him to DH and he can play left and Engel can play right. Uh, both guys can play center if necessary. 
but what Adam Eaton brings to the table is he takes walks and he's got a good on base percentage. And that's the one thing this offense uh, lacks is a lot of guys who are patient. It's a pretty aggressive group. Uh, Yasmani Grandal was brought in uh, to take more walks. So I think Eaton, in terms of his approach, uh, really fits uh, this offense. And what about his veteran leadership and his edge in the clubhouse? Yeah, I think that that's part of it, too. And, and he would probably be the first to tell you that, you know, he's grown up a lot and learned a lot since the last time uh, he was here. Uh, there's no question he's a gritty player. You know, I know in the past he has rubbed some teammates the wrong way uh, in the clubhouse. But, you know, I think this is a, a team that should be able to take on a lot of different personalities. And that's the other experience I've had with some really good clubs is that um, you can have some outspoken people and they don't have to always agree with each other, but if they're all pulling the rope in the same direction, then that is to win a world series. And this team seems to be right on the edge of doing that. Uh, I I think he'll fit in just uh, perfectly. Who's the leader in this clubhouse? Do you think? Well, I haven't been there, uh, so I, I would be speaking out of school a little bit, but based on what I have heard and read, um, my, my, my gut would be Jose Abreu uh, carries a lot of weight in there. Uh, the reigning American League MVP uh, is, is someone who wanted to remain here even after his initial six-year deal ran out. Uh, I think Tim Anderson... Uh, is a big-time leader in this clubhouse and kind of reminds me of Javier Baez and just his energy uh, that he brings to the ballpark every day, uh, I think, lifts his teammates. Uh, and then in terms of the rotation, it's got to be Dallas Keuchel. Uh, he, he's been around a long time. Uh, he was the first big free agent signing in this uh, uh, you know, movement to, towards championship caliber, uh, along with Grandall last off season. So I would say those three, uh, and then a younger, uh, leader would probably be Lucas Giolito. You know, he's probably the best pitcher on the team. And I think carries, uh, a lot of weight with, he has, with what he has to say on a daily basis too. All of these additions to a team that was so loaded with offensive firepower with Jose Abreu and his monster year, Louis Robert, Yoan Moncada, Aloy Jimenez, who the Cubs gave up, Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandal, and on and on. Do you see any weaknesses in this lineup? I sure don't. No, I, I think the one thing I mentioned is that you know, if, if you have a group that doesn't take a ton of walks, then uh, sometimes you can, you can go into some slumps because you're not hitting. Right. And I think well-rounded offenses, even when most of the guys are slumping, you can still find ways to get on base. However, this is a team that hits a lot of home runs. So even if you're not taking a lot of walks, you know, you might be able to hit two or three solo home runs. If you get a good pitching performance, you can, you can win uh, that way. So no, I, I, I don't see a lot of glaring weaknesses in this lineup. Um, I'm not a big lineup construction nerd. I don't tend to worry too much about who bats where, um, but that's what the manager tends to get uh, either criticized or lauded for on a daily basis because it's the visual representation of that team uh, every single day. 
Uh, as I mentioned, I think kind of a platoon uh, in, in right makes sense. Uh, Nick Madrigal, you know, doesn't have uh, a lot of stats at the big league level, but looks like he can hit. And uh, to have him lurking down low in the order uh, just brings a little bit of a, a different look to the lineup as well. So, yeah, I, I, I like what uh, this offense brings, and they should be among the top two or three uh, offenses in the American League. Are they good enough to win a World Series? I would say yes, they are good enough to win a World Series as constituted currently. But baseball is a difficult sport to predict. If I go back to 2016, the Cubs were, by all accounts, the best team in baseball from start to finish. And it wasn't particularly close. And yet there were moments in all three postseason series in which I thought this is going to end. Uh, I really worried when they were down in game four in San Francisco that they would have to face Johnny Cueto in game five back at Wrigley. Uh, They had been shut out in back-to-back games in the NLCS against the Dodgers. And I worried if the offense was ever going to score another run. And then they were down three to one in the world series. And I wondered if they could come back against a very good Cleveland team. So that's what, any World Series winner has to face, even if you're by by far the best team in the game. So I would say, yes, it is a World Series caliber club, but baseball happens, Fran. Never forget that. And how many games can a great manager win you, if any? That's a question that has been debated for decades my hunch tells me a good manager could probably win you three or four extra games and a quote bad manager maybe can lose three or four games and most probably don't win or lose any. Um, I, I, it's a question. If you ask me in 40 years, I probably would give you the same answer. I don't know if we can ever quantify uh, the value of a manager. There are two parts to the job. One is everything that happens before the first pitch is thrown in terms of motivation, making sure your players feel right and are confident. And then there's the strategic part of it, which happens once the game starts, uh, when you take your starting pitcher out, and mostly with your bullpen. Uh, One thing I can tell you is Tony La Russa should be as good as any manager in the game once the game starts. Uh, And again, the nine-year layoff, you know, we'll see how it goes uh, after the final pitch is thrown and before the, the next day's pitch, uh, first pitch is thrown. But based on everything I've heard and people I've talked to, he is highly motivated to uh, relate to today's player and uh, is very open about things that he needs to adjust uh, to make himself uh, as good a manager in 2021 as he was in 2012. Do you, did you uh, ever feel sorry for Ricky Renteria? He's this baseball lifer who always seems to get the shaft when teams are ready to make their final move, just as he did with the Cubs. I'm a big fan of Ricky's. Uh, he's a great baseball mind. Uh, he's a great motivator. Everyone who's ever been around Rick Renteria loves him as a human being. Of course, you feel bad that on the cusp of being really good in two different places in the same city, uh, he lost his job. Uh, 
but this is the big leagues, and these moves do get made all the time. Uh, sometimes they're the right moves. Sometimes they're the wrong moves. Uh, but the shelf life of a major league manager is very short, and uh, unfortunately for him, he joins a long, long list of managers who were unable uh, to remain with a club as they got really good. For years, the Cubs drew no matter what kind of team they put out on the field because of the allure of Wrigley Field, but the Sox drew attendance only when they won. Has that changed? Is this becoming a White Sox town? Well, you're talking to the new radio voice of the White Sox, so I sure hope so. (laughs) Uh, This is the one part among many, of course, of the pandemic baseball. I really hope we are able to have fans come back to the ballpark as soon as possible in 2021. The White Sox didn't win a division, but they won a lot of games and they got to the postseason in 2020 and no no fans could be at guaranteed rate field to enjoy it. I would really hate to see the fans not be able to come to the ballpark in 2021. I would bet, Fran, the second uh, the gates open and the turnstiles are, are, are humming again, uh, that the White Sox will draw incredibly well, and I would anticipate Wrigley Field will be packed on a daily basis once 40,000 are allowed back in. Because of the pent-up, you know, just the feeling of, oh, now we're free to do this, that, this thing that we couldn't do that we love so much. Yeah, that no question that's part of it, but I think the other thing is it's a great baseball town, and Yes, the Cubs have a larger uh, footprint, uh, not only in Chicago, but nationally. But, you know, the White Sox are grabbing most of the headlines right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think the White Sox will steal Cubs fans away. But I have to tell you, and I don't know what your experience uh, is, uh, and you've been here a lot longer than I have. I never talked to many true fans of both teams, the fan who would root for the Cubs and root for the White Sox, if not equally, fairly so. And it always made for an interesting conversation because they are in opposite leagues and they've only met in the World Series once, and that was in 1906 before we were all born. Um, But now that I've made this move, I've heard from a lot of people who I always thought we're Cubs fans and Cubs fans alone. But I almost get this whisper now because I'm with the other team. Hey, I've always secretly rooted for the White Sox as well, and I will be listening. Have you had conversations with people about their fandom and almost not shame, but the fact that maybe in their family or their circle of friends, they, they were afraid to admit that they also rooted for the other team in town? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like admitting that people voted for Trump or something. I don't know what it is. It's it's strange, but it seems like a a sense of baseball disloyalty in a town where you have to choose. And I don't I don't believe that because I'm just a plain old baseball fan. So I don't I don't side with that. And I think that this team is going to excite this city and has already. How do you explain the fact that Jose Abreu managed to bat something like 350 while on the north side? Rizzo and Bryant and and Baez and Schwarber all had really down years. Baez complaining about not being able to watch video of his at-bats during the game. But that was the same for everybody. Why 
is it that Abreu had such a monster year? So did Tim Anderson. And yet the Cubs were just in the tank. Ultimately, the answer is I don't know. And I don't know if people way smarter than I know. Uh, Chris Bryant hit, what, 205, you know, wasn't healthy the whole year. But um, it didn't make a lot of sense that so many players in one team struggled as much as they did. And as you said, the, the White Sox were very good. You had uh, DJ LeMahieu with the Yankees, just kept doing what he does. Uh, I have to tell you, the series of Brayu had uh, at Wrigley Field, I believe it was in August, was one of the Five best homers. three game, yeah, three game yeah. performances I've ever seen. It felt to me like he might hit 10 home runs in that series and nobody could get him out before you, Darvish, finally did. Um, yeah, I, I, baseball's weird. And, and when I watched Abreu, it looked like it didn't matter what they threw him. In fact, there were a couple of home runs he hit where I thought the pitches were well-located, but he was so locked in, it didn't matter. On the flip side, you had guys at times swinging right through fastballs right down the middle. And I think what it says, Fran, is that the art of hitting is probably as mental uh, and more so than we ever imagined and way less mechanical. Uh, Typically, when uh, players make these mechanical tweaks to their swing, uh, it's probably just a placebo more than anything because it gets a guy to, to not think quite as much about whatever was bothering him before. Uh, but when I watched Abreu and Anderson uh, hit in 2020, they just looked like supremely confident men at the plate. And when I watched uh, some of the Cubs hitters you, you referenced, uh, they're, at times it just they look defeated. And I think the 60-game schedule part of it, either exacerbated the confidence or the insecurity, right? Because now you know I'm 30 games in and I'm hitting 187 and there's no way I can hit 280 even if, you know, I have a great run. And it may have put extra pressure on guys uh, who were struggling and it may have just uh, made guys like Abreu the most confident in the world because they knew no matter what, they probably were going to hit 300. Before we let you go, we've got to talk a little bit about the Cubs, the team you left. The Cubs traded Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana. Quintana is now gone. He's reunited with Joe Madden at the Angels. John Lester, a crucial piece of that World Series team, is gone. He's in Washington. So is Kyle Schwarber. And Victor Caratini is also gone. So is Theo Epstein, replaced by his former GM, Jed Hoyer. Why should Cub fans have any hope at all? Well, number one, they uh, made the playoffs this past year and won the division. And I look at the National League Central as a very winnable division. Uh, We don't know at the time of this recording what the playoff field will look like. My hunch is it will be at least 14 teams, probably not the 16 we had last year. But if it's more than 10, uh, I think the Cubs – very easily could get to October. And the fact that they didn't uh, advance uh, beyond that first round the last few times they tried it, uh, you know, sometimes change for change's sake can actually work. And and nothing stays the same forever. We know that. Uh, obviously, they need to add some starting pitching and to add some velocity to that group. But I still think offensively they can score runs. I'm assuming Bryant 
and Contreras uh, will be on this roster come opening day. Uh, I really like the year Jason Hayward had last year, uh, and and if he has the same offensive season, that will help a lot. I expect Bryant and Rizzo uh, and and a lot of these guys to bounce back from last year. So yes, I I think there still is reason for hope there. And and number one, Fran, I really really like David Ross. I think he was born to manage. Uh, he he jumped right into that job and looked the part from day one. Uh, if a manager wins, a good manager wins a couple of extra games a year for, for you, I think David did that for this club in 2020 and probably will do it again in 2021. And how would you assess Theo Epstein's overall record? I know he won the World Series. He'll always be remembered for that. But he also is the guy who traded DJ LeMahieu for Ian Stewart, Quintana for Cease and Jimenez, let Jorge Soler go, traded a perennial all-star shortstop to the Yankees for Aroldis Chapman, who was only a rental. Is he overrated? No. In fact, if anything, he might be underrated. He ended two curses. He's a Hall of Famer uh, and probably should be in the Hall of Fame today. Uh, I think what he did uh, in Chicago uh, is is pretty breathtaking. Uh, I was here when he took over and how bad not only the team was on the field, but if you looked at what they had in their minor league system, there wasn't much. Uh, the, the drafts they had when he got here, uh, you know, the position player uh, drafts were just incredible. I know he didn't draft enough pitching, and it's the one thing that he regrets to this day. Um, and so, look, it wasn't a perfect tenure, but he raised the bar and raised the expectations to a level that really hadn't been seen in our lifetime on the north side of Chicago. So uh, I would call it a total success. Uh, with maybe a couple of little dings here and there at the end. Um, if we could grade them, maybe an A- minus would be appropriate, but I definitely think it starts with an A. And where will he surface again, do you think? Other Great than question. what he's doing now, just as a consultant for MLB. Yeah, I think this is a temporary position. Uh, it's desperately needed to, to sort out a few things with uh, the state of the game. Uh, I would imagine he will end up either being the president of another club uh, or maybe even having a little bit of an ownership, ownership take. Yeah. yeah. But, th- but you know, teams aren't uh, bought and sold all that often. Um, it's possible maybe a current owner could uh, offer him a little piece of the pie. Uh, but I, I would think at his age, he's, I think, 46 uh, he, he probably will be the president of another club and maybe try to find a place that's similar to where the Cubs were, kind of a sleeping giant, and uh, do the same thing all over again. Len Casper, thank you so very much, and best of luck in your new move. I, I, I think it takes courage, and it's terrific that you made this change at age 50. And happy birthday, and good luck to the White Sox. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, Fran. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. 
New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.